um, you know, all Jews are rebels, right? You do know that. Um, we're, we're rebels, but with the cause, uh, because <laughs> the, the Torah tells us that we are, Abraham is called Ha'ivri, right? What does Ivri mean? It means it's from the other side. So the simple understanding, he's from the other side of the Jordan River because he comes from, you know, Turkey area, you know, from far to the east. However, our sages tell us what it really means is from the other side of the world that we would constantly find ourselves battling against the tide, right? And that's, so we are all really rebels. We all, we all march to the beat of our own drum, hopefully a similar drum, right? The drum that we talked about, the drum of Torah, but it's not necessarily what the rest of the world is marching to. Okay. So we're going to continue the footnote that we started last night. So the footnote was discussing the idea that the we, the Jews, are descendants of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And because we are descendants of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, there was a specific three different characteristics that would be necessary components for us to fulfill our mission as being this nation that would reveal to the world and represent to the world what Hashem wants the world to truly do. Uh, someone, someone actually sent me an email last night asking a question. You know, we talk about the fact that we are descended from Abraham, but Yishmael, right, is also descended from Abraham, right? So maybe they have some sort of claim to that they also have a role to play. And, and the truth of the matter is that they, there is something to that. And the Zohar does talk about the fact that the children of Yishmael actually do have a claim to the land of Israel. This is the Zohar being written uh, according to most, 1,800 years ago, it, it's possible it's a little bit later than that, it's possible. But he's going at length how the Arabs do have a claim to the land of Israel due to the fact that, A, they are descendants of Abraham as well, and to Abraham was promised the land of Israel, and B, due to the fact that they also do Brit Milah, they also circumcise, and therefore they do have some sort of a claim to the land of Israel. So there is some truth to that. However, Arabs do not have the next two forebears, right? So they don't have Isaac's power that he brings into the world, the characteristic that he embodies, and they don't have Yaakov's power either. And that's why they're not going to be the full representative of Hashem in this world. All that being said, when the Rambam talks about what's going on in terms of spreading the message of Hashem to the rest of the world, he says that the Arabs and the Christian, Muslims and the Christians are also playing a role Right? And what the way that they're playing this role is they are spreading monotheism to the world. Remember, this is the Rambam who it's not so simple to him that Christianity is for sure idol worship. There's a question about that and not all of the Rishonim agree it, exactly is it idol worship. It is certainly, I, I shouldn't say that. It is idol worship for a Jew to believe in, in uh, Christianity. When I say Christianity, what I mean is the original Christianity or what we think is the original Christianity, or perhaps not the original, but a old Christianity, Catholicism, to believe in a trinity, that does seem to be idol worship for Jews. In terms of, for a non-Jew to believe in a trinity, that Hashem could be split up into different parts, that might not be idol worship for a non-Jew. So even Christianity might still be spreading the truth of monotheism to the world. So it is true that Islam does play a role. So it's not, it's not so crazy what you were saying. Okay. So let's look at the footnote. So let's start again from footnote number three, in which he's going to describe the characteristics of our forefathers that make us who we are, and that for these reasons, the Jewish people are chosen to be the representatives of Hashem. Page 119, Rabbi Shamshun Hirsch lists the outstanding characteristics of the three patriarchs as love of God, fear of God, and trust in God, respectively. We pointed out previously that love of God has been related to the quality of chesed, loving kindness 
and fear of God to that of Gevura, sternness of judgment, right? These are mirroring the characteristics that Hashem exhibits to the world. When we practice these attributes ourselves as people and as individuals, we are mirroring these elements of how Hashem relates to the world. As we know, the way we treat others, the way we treat our responsibilities, Hashem responds with what we call midah keneged midah. The, character, the characteristics, the way in which we act, Hashem acts to us, okay? Avraham and Yitzchak are considered in rabbinic literature to be the exponents of these qualities. Thus, the Zohar links Abraham, the embodiment of love, to the positive commandments, and Yitzchak, the embodiment of fear of Hashem, to the negative ones. Yaakov is taken to represent their harmonious synthesis in the quality of Tiferes, translated by Targum Unculus as clarity. Tiferes stands for truth, which results from the interaction of love and justice, and which is embodied in the teachings of the Torah. Okay, so at that point where, you know, on a Venn diagram where they share it, right? So kindness and justice, they really can only operate in tandem to reach its ideal form of how to interact with the world. And when it reaches that, that point where they're exactly where they're meant to be and where they do overlap with each other, that point is called tiferes. So we can call that uh, clarity, right? Because it does imply a certain level of clarity. It also, we can call trust, right? Trust that this is exactly, I'm sorry, truth, which is exactly where things should be. Thus, the patriarchs represent the qualities upon which God's governance of the world rests. Because this is how Hashem interacts with the world. And their task was to teach these qualities to mankind, since the existence of the world depends on them. See Avos 1, 2, 18. What he's referring to here is in the chapters of our fathers, we say the world stands on three things, right? The three things are Torah, right? The Avoda, the serving Hashem, and Gemilas Chasadim, loving kindness, right? So we, what we would say is that the Avoda, the serving of Hashem, is re reference to the quality of, or a uh, echo of the quality of Yira, right? Of the way that Hashem serves the world, Hashem judges the world with justice and is strict by the letter of the law and does exactly the way things are supposed to be. That's how we're supposed to serve Hashem as well, in terms of how we pray to Hashem, in terms of how we bring offerings to Hashem. The Torah represents truth. The Torah represents the perfect synthesis between justice and loving kindness. And then loving kindness is obviously represented by the way in which we interact with other, our fellow man, and how we interact with them with grace and interact with them with compassion and mercy. Now, so the task of the patriarchs is really to teach these qualities to mankind, but not necessarily just by themselves. One man can only have X amount of influence. This is before the age of having the megaphone that the internet can give, right? So they can't actually influence that many people by themselves. However, through creating a, a, a nation of people who are specifically chosen by Hashem to carry out this mission. So we have to recognize that this is our mission. Our mission is both to interact with the world on an individual level and also to be part of this nation that was given this imperative and told to teach the world these characteristics. That's what Hashem wants from us. The function of the patriarchs is spelled out fully in Zohar and reference to this role can be found in many different areas. Let's skip a little bit, skip that parentheses. Rabbi Shamshin Rafal Hirsch, in the 19 letters, calls Yaakov's paramount quality, not truth or Torah, but trust, seeing in it what we consider to be the human counterpart 
of Tiferes, the result of man's love and awe of God. In other words, at that confluence of where we have love for God and we have fear of God, what it reflects is our understanding that everything that happens in this world happens because Hashem wants it to happen. So if we reach that level of understanding and recognition about the nature of Hashem's relationship with the world, the consequence, should, the inevitable consequence should be that we now have trust in God, that whatever happens is for our own good. There is, of course, a close connection between trust in God and attachment to Torah. In the words of the morning prayer for children, the Torah shall be my trust. It provides light and hope in darkness. If the Torah were not my constant concern, I would long ago have been lost in my affliction. And in turn, our loyalty to Torah justifies our trust in God. In other words, when we have a deep connection to Torah, then we can develop a true faith and trust in Hashem. And it's only with that deep connection to the Torah that we can really develop that. It's easy to talk, to talk, to talk, and to say, well, I just believe, right? Without having a deeper understanding of what God is and the way to reach that deeper understanding is obviously through the Torah, that is the word of God. Then through that, we can actually develop an understanding of how Hashem interacts with the world and develop faith in him. The relationship between Yaakov and the quality of trust is clearly related to his life experiences. Whereas Abraham was the universally recognized prince of God who experienced in his life God's kindness to the fullest, Yaakov's life was marked by tribulations, typical of the Jewish people in times of darkness and suffering, when it is sustained only by its trust in God's ultimate help. Hence, the morning prayers at sunrise, identified with Abraham, proclaim MSV Yatsib, the grateful affirmation of God's rule, while our prayers at nightfall, Ma'ariv, identified with Yaakov, emphasize MSV Emuna, our trust in God. Thus, Rashi sees in Emes Ve'atzev a reference to the redemption, which we experienced when we left Egypt, while Emes Ve'emuna, which is the prayer that we say at the nighttime davening, affirms our trust in the future redemption, no matter how difficult things may be. If I could have just one more minute to, to share, share a point about Yaakov, right, that really exemplifies this idea. I learned this uh, mitzvah this past week with my daughters. We, we learn uh, a couple of mitzvahs each week from the Rambam. And one of the mitzvahs in the Torah is that you're not allowed to eat the displaced sinew, right? We're not allowed to eat what is called the Gidha Nesha, which is why Ashkenazi Jews today have the custom not even to eat any of the hind of the hind quarter of a cow, because it's just too complicated to remove that vein. Now, why can't we remove that? Why can't I'm sorry, why can't we eat that part of the of the animal? So the reason why we can't eat that part of the animal is because when Yaakov fights with the angel, he fights with him the entire night, he struggles with him. And his vein or his, his, um, his uh, sinew, his, his uh, hip gets pushed out of its socket. And because it gets pushed out of its socket, therefore we never eat from it again because we want to remember the fact that he fought with the angel, right? Now, it's, just a, it's an odd thing. Like we need to remember the fact that he fought with an angel. It's just such a weird interplay. So the way the Chinuch explains is, he says, the point of this was not necessarily that he fought with the angel the entire night. The point is that the sun came up and then the battle was over and the angel had to leave. And the fight was, Yaakov was victorious. The purpose of this mitzvah is to teach us every time we do not eat a part of the meat that involves the, that displaced sinew, so to speak. Every time we don't eat that, we will think to ourselves, I'm not eating this because I am remembering that Yaakov, who exemplifies the Jewish people in exile, he fought the entire night and he didn't know what the end was going to be. But in the end, the sun came up and everything was good. So every time we don't eat that piece of meat, that should be our 
uh, the word in, in, is in Hebrew is hergish. That should be our feeling, right? There should be a, a real emotional response to that, right? The emotional response should not be, I wish I could have filet mignon. That's not the emotional response we're looking for. The emotional response we should be finding is, I am the reason why I don't eat it is because I am remembering the fact that Hashem will redeem us in the end of days. This is very much related to Yaakov because of his stories of how his own brother tries to kill him and, and going through his entire life, all the different uh, vicissitudes that he deals with, you know, where his own son is gone for 22 years and, and so on and so forth. Okay, so to finish for tonight, uh, tomorrow night at eight o'clock, I'm going to be giving a, a class about Purim. Uh, some of you are, are regulars at that class anyways, but people who are not, I definitely uh, invite you to come because I think it's a, an interesting class. So tomorrow night, same, we're gonna give the regular class at seven. And then at eight, we will have a different class uh, about Purim at the same link that we use every night. Okay, take care everyone, be well.